Chapter Fifteen, Part One of the Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brenholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter Fifteen: A Consistent Liar Is the Devil Incarnate. Homely Truths. When Mr. Craggie heard the words of his secretary, he turned pale and stepped to the door as if to get air. As he did so, he caught sight of the men at the same moment that they discovered him, and the sounds which reached his ears were not calculated to steady any man's nerves. By this time the train was flying along the straight track at a rate which promised to cover the distance between Steelton and Clyde in considerably less time than it had ever before been attempted, and the car was swaying violently. Before they passed out of sight, Mr. Craggie noticed that the anger of the men seemed to be turned toward a single individual who stood by himself on the platform and who appeared to be paying no attention to them but was looking after the retreating car. "'Who is that man, Chambers?' he demanded. "'That is Charles Arndt, labor leader, and you probably owe your life to him at this moment,' was the emphatic reply. Now, even a Mr. Craggy loses some of his dignity when he is standing with the water dripping off a half-washed face and with his shirt-sleeves rolled up, and he felt that he needed every aid he could secure. So he said abruptly, "'Ring to slow down. There's no need for such reckless traveling. Every one would think to see the way we go that we were running away.' Chambers, without a word, pulled the bell-cord." The president speedily completed his toilet, and in the meantime Chambers carefully deposited his hand satchel in a corner where he could keep his eye on it, and then went to work sorting the letters which had been written the previous afternoon, and when Mr. Craigie took his seat at the opposite side of the table, the secretary smiled into his face as he coolly took up a lot of the letters and threw them into the wastebasket. "'What are you doing, sir?' Mr. Craigie stormed. Chambers hesitated a moment until he placed the last letter on one of the other piles, and then he looked the president square in the eye as he asserted, very calmly, "'You know those editorials will not be needed now, and might better be destroyed. It is too late for you to try that trick. Moreover, they are rather incriminating themselves in view of what took place last night.' Mr. Craigie took a full minute to look into the calm face of the secretary, and then his jaws closed with a snap, and he said, in a tone of voice that usually had a bad effect on the nerves of those who heard it, "'I think that you and I will part company at Clyde, Mr. Chambers. You are a valuable man, and have been with me for many years, and I owe you something for a good turn the other night, but I never allow a man to address me in that manner, because a few hundred crazy strikers choose to howl and throw rocks and violate the law by firing on this car is no reason why you should forget who I am.' "'Oh, you are right enough there, Mr. Craggie,' was the prompt reply. "'That is not sufficient reason. Certainly not. We may part company at Clyde. That will be for you to say, after you have heard the reason which I do consider to be quite sufficient to justify my manner.' This was said by Chambers in such a quiet, level tone that Mr. Craggie became impressed with the idea that he at least better hear what this fool had to say.' 
That was what the president was mentally calling Chambers, for he thought that the chance for that fellow to earn a living in the United States after that day would be very slim. So he said, "'Say your say, Mr. Chambers. We have nothing to do until we reach Clyde.' Chambers coolly took a cigar from his pocket and lit it, and the insubordination of this disregard of one of Craggy's strictest rules told the president that he had a dangerous man to deal with. He pushed his own box of cigars over to Chambers, saying, "'I don't like the kind you use, sir. Mine are better.' "'Naturally,' replied the other, "'naturally. I'm happy to be able to agree with you. What's good enough for you is good enough for me.' and he took a cigar from the box and lit it from his own, which he then threw away. Then he leaned back in his chair and placed his feet on the table, in exact imitation of the president's style, and said, "'At the snail's pace that we are now travelling, there will be plenty of time to tell you everything in minute detail before we have to say good-bye to each other, for which last I, for one, will be sincerely sorry.' As Mr. Craggy did not audibly reciprocate this sentiment, Chambers continued, "'It is quite as interesting a story as any I ever read. I wish that I had the literary ability to do it justice.' Here the patience of his hearer came to an end, and he glared at Chambers savagely and cried, "'Have you anything to say? If so, say it!' The secretary smiled, straightened up in his chair, threw the newly lighted fifty-cent cigar into the cuspidor, and briskly said, "'Last night, after I retired to my room, a friend of mine called on me. He said that he had been concealed in the cook's room ever since the night we started so suddenly on this trip, and left the cook behind us. Says that he slipped in to beg a bite to eat from the cook, knowing that he'd be sure to get it if he said he was my friend. But the cook was out.' And suddenly the car started, and he kept quiet, at first because he did not want me to discover him in his dirty condition, for he had got low down, sure enough, thinking that he would slip out at the next stopping place. Afterwards he stayed for other reasons, says that he found our conversations so very interesting that he could not tear himself away, says that he has heard every word that either you or I, or Mr. Johnson spoke. He paused. Mr. Craggy started up, exclaiming, Impossible! It is a lie! But as his thoughts flew backwards, he knew that it was not impossible. So he sank back into his chair and said nothing. Impossible! is the very word I used, continued Chambers, and when my friend said that he had heard every word that was spoken by us, I called him a liar. But when I remembered that we had rolled this table down to this end of the car, because the cook was absent, and it gave us more room, I knew that it was not impossible, but highly probable. When I called him a liar, he said, "'Go slow, young fellow. I don't take any harsh talk from Craggy or any of his men since I left that car, but I did stretch the truth a little, just a trifle. There were some words said by Mr. Craggy in the conversation between himself and Johnson that I didn't catch.' 
Chambers, from under his half-closed lids, watched the man before him as a cat watches a mouse, and he was sure that he saw a look of relief on the face of the man. Then he said to himself, as he reached over and took another cigar from the box and lit it, "'Risky shot, that, but reached the mark.' After this he talked slowly and puffed gently at the cigar, and between the sentences he blew smoke rings above his head and watched them float away and dissolve. "'Still,' said he, "'I did not pay much attention to the man, "'for I told him that if he stuck to the truth "'there was nothing that you or I had said "'that would be a cause for us to give him a dollar to hold his tongue.' for I know that a clever lawyer like Johnson can bother any man so badly on the witness stand when he comes to tell a story about a two or three days old occurrence that I just laughed at him and told him that I was sorry for the inconvenience he had been put to and that I hoped the good grub he had eaten at your expense and the pleasure he had derived from listening to our unadulterated opinions of the world in general was sufficient to compensate him for that was all he would ever get out of them. But then he laughed at me, and called me a fool, and said that I could judge better about that after he had given me a sample of his wares, and then he insisted on reading from his stenographic notes a specimen here and there. At this point Mr. Craggie got up and took a drink of water, and then restlessly walked about the car during the remainder of the story. Chambers continued to talk and did not seem to care whether the president was in front of him or behind him. This sense of perfect security struck the president very unpleasantly. I found, concluded Chambers, that my friend was a very expert stenographer indeed, and that he had every important bit of conversation that has been uttered in this car on this trip since that night. I took down at his dictation as a test of the accuracy of the rest of his notes a few parts where I knew all the facts, and finding them correct the letter, I then took down the conversation between you and Mr. Johnson yesterday morning. I myself had a little curiosity to know what you were unwilling to have me hear, and I must say that I don't wonder that one for an audience was sufficient. Here Mr. Craggie interrupted him, saying bitterly, "'There's the weak spot. I've always known it. There's the single and only weak point. If a man did not have to take a human being into his confidence, he might be lord of the earth in a year. They all betray you when it pays them to do it. How much do you want to hold your tongue?' "'Now,' said Chambers coolly, "'that is not kind.' I don't see where the talk about betrayal comes in. I never yet betrayed anything that any man trusted me with. You have not trusted too much, but too little. It is good advice to trust all or not at all. And you've not been betrayed. Who was there to betray you but Mr. Johnson? You surely do not suspect him. You never trusted my friend, yet he has not betrayed you, for it is all still in your own hands, though of course he must be paid. But suppose that what you say is so. We will try to imagine it for the sake of the argument. You look on me as an accomplice. I deny it. 
but supposing it were anybody but archibald chambers and that he had been working for a man for fifteen years and that he could not remember a single instance in all those years where the slightest thought had been taken for his welfare but could without any difficulty remember times without number when he had had to work to the point of exhaustion when he had had to smile and say nothing when he was made the butt of his employer's ill-temper when he had had to demean himself by carrying out orders which an honest man and a gentleman should never have conceived add to that if you please that the employee is in all respects save only wealth at least the equal of the employer and that for all the harsh treatment and justice supercilious tones and manner there has been no offset in the shape of a single holiday or any increase in wages and that there can in reality never be any offset or recompense for such things then suppose that such a secret as has been confided to me were confided to him and i ask you what have you a right to expect mr craggie made no reply and after a few moments chambers continued you know very well what you would have done under the circumstances now see what i did mr craggie i did just what you would have done i became possessor of that secret and at a terrible price the price of being looked upon as an accomplice in the dirtiest piece of rascality known to the world blackmail what do i want with so dangerous a secret the same thing that you are working for power i hold a secret that makes the most powerful man in the united states tremble but not i alone and therein lies my safety what do you propose to do with your power sir demanded mr craggie i propose in the first place to talk to you as an equal and without reservation until we arrive at clyde i have been with you for over fifteen years i've never been spared day or night in all that time after you have dictated until exhausted you go to bed and i work until the letters are ready for the next mail no matter what time in the morning that may be i've been your slave i have done two men's work and have received slightly more than the market price for a stenographer of my ability you never asked for an increase of salary that is perfectly correct i never did and therein and in all other respects i am totally different from our suppositious man i have been amply compensated though perhaps in ways you have not contemplated and cannot imagine let us take the matter of cash remuneration i have brought up the salary to a figure perfectly satisfactory to me by using almost the full allowance which you set aside to purchase the silence or compliance of other men i think you have had better service in that direction since i took charge than ever before so there i have not defrauded you you paid for the article and got it i will tell you this much right here it is useless for a rich man to play the game you are all playing and think of winning by bribery fear is a much more powerful lever i am a pretty rich man myself to-day entirely too rich to risk losing it by blackmailing any one owing to those so-called presents i call it that corruption fund 
you expected me to steal part of it you know i never stole a cent of it for i gave you full value for every dollar but i did not waste those dollars on other people it takes time and energy which i couldn't spare from my life work to bribe people and it always gives me a nasty feeling to try it moreover it is not invariably successful either and then you have an insulted man on your hands so i simply used the power of your name and the power of your position and there isn't a man in the country to-day who refuses to obey the orders i give in your name or if he does he may as well hunt for a comfortable existence in heaven or in hell he will not find a chance to earn it on the earth and i don't have to use your name very often either you are certainly candid sir would you object to stating your other compensation said mr craggie sneeringly at the proper time i shall take pleasure in doing so but at present i find neither the time nor the inclination to state more than that none of the things which would influence our supposititious man to purchase the secret have power to move me i find my joy and my life in the sense of power which the faithful performance of my daily work brings me for this reason i wish to continue as your private secretary moreover because the money you are to pay to my friend must pass through my hands it will be necessary for me to so remain at least until the payment is completed he is working for himself and says that one million in greenbacks gold certificates or national bank notes will do for him the remainder of his life he refuses to personally deal with you as he says he would not give a pinch of snuff for his life if you could lay hands on him i told him that he does not know you that you would not do such a thing for one reason because you have not the courage to plan such a thing much less execute it but he pointed out the blank space in the stenographic notes and retorted what was he saying to johnson when i who had my ear not ten feet away from his head couldn't hear a word for several minutes there was more than one risky assertion in this last but chambers was pretty sure of the habits of mr craggie by this time and he saw at once that he had scored again how did your man get out of the car demanded mr craggie the door was locked when i returned from the restaurant for i had to use my key i remember that very distinctly and also that all the windows were tightly fastened on the inside for i looked at them before i retired oh said chambers i almost forgot to give you the key i made him surrender to me and here he handed to the president a key plainly a duplicate made to order that key said he is you know the one we had made for the cook he always hangs it in his room behind the door when he is in the car i'll have those locks changed to-morrow said the president it will scarcely be necessary sir my friend will certainly not trust himself in this car again there is no necessity for him to know more than at present during this whole conversation chambers had not once shown the slightest sign of being in a hurry nor had he raised his voice and while his words were impudent his tone was not the thought in his mind being i'll tell you to-day all that i want to say to-morrow's mighty uncertain 
The effect on Mr. Craggie was to impress on him how absolutely sure this man must be of his position, that he dared to sit there and talk in this manner to him. Chambers had started suddenly when asked about the key, but his subsequent words accounted for that. But he said to himself, even while handing the key, "'Narrow shave that. Good I thought about that key while he was washing.' "'Here,' said he, is the translation and i may be mistaken but it seems to me that that blank space on the paper is about the worst feature of the whole business in view of the attempted murder of mr endy i thought you said he was dead said mr craggie sharply you must have been excited said chambers with a smile aren't said only nearly murdered or something similar I had not a moment to waste in asking him particulars. It was a case of getting this train moving, but it makes very little difference either way. The man may be dead now for all we know, and if not, here is the situation in a few words. Oh, you need not repeat it, said his hearer impatiently. Well, I'm glad that you grasp it, said Chambers coolly. Only you must add to it several other things, one of which is the corroborating testimony which I would have to give if put on the stand, and I've never perjured myself yet for any man, and don't propose to do so, even for you. I feel perfectly safe in serving my friend in this way, because, even if you should fail to see that I am, in reality, serving you more than I am serving him— you will not fail to understand that the man who had the nerve to take those notes isn't going to let anything happen to me without handing over the whole evidence to the labor leaders, even if he doesn't get a cent besides what I have already given him, which, by the way, I'll thank you to give me a check for right now. This is simply blackmail. What did you give the fellow money for? stormed Mr. Craggie. "'To keep him from handing over the evidence of your guilt to the strikers,' said Chambers. "'If you regret or disavow my action, you can openly repudiate it now, "'and everything is as it was, except that I am out the money. "'And as for the blackmail, why, of course, it is that, neither more nor less, on his part. "'But I have heard you say very often—' that hard names break no bones, and the man is pursuing your own methods so closely that I asked him whether he had not taken lessons from you. But he only laughed at me, and said that there are plenty more rich men built on your plan in this country to take lessons from. As for the money I paid him, here he took another cigar from the box and lit it. You can do as you please about that. It was only a thousand-dollar bill." a special canal completion commemorative gold certificate, one of the issue with the craggy portrait medallion, you know, that I have fallen into the habit of carrying about with me, and I would willingly lose several times that amount to prevent the strikers from knowing what my friend and I know. Without saying a word in reply, Mr. Craggie drew out his checkbook and filled out a check for the amount, for although he had that same little habit of carrying about a thousand-dollar bill in order, as he said, to never be caught without change, he did not give the bill to Chambers. As he handed the paper to the secretary, he said, "'This purchases those lying notes, I think.' 
Certainly, if you wish them. I can get as many duplicates as are necessary, though, of course, the others might not agree with this word for word. And he handed the papers to Mr. Craggie, who, as he took in the accuracy of the work, involuntarily exclaimed, I'd like to hire that man. He's a better stenographer than you. Much better, was the quiet reply. I thought I said that he is the best I have ever seen. Nothing escapes his ear, and his notes, where he has anything on which to rest his book, are almost like copper plate if one does not dictate over 185 words a minute. That translation of the notes is, of course, in my hand, as you see, and so far as penmanship goes there is nothing to be said for it for he was in a great rush, to get away and in hiding. I am glad that you acknowledge the general accuracy of the work, the President winced, and I think you will agree with me as to his ability when I hand the original notes to you, as I hope soon to be able to do. At present they are not in my possession, and will not be until the last cent has been paid. I don't, however, think that he will trust himself any closer to you than he at this moment is during this life, if he can help it. After Mr. Craggie had finished reading, he asked, Why is not the remainder of the conversation here? I think that what followed would have convinced even you that there was no intention of anything more than a slight inconvenience to Mr. Endy intended by either Mr. Johnson or myself. You know that neither the company nor I could have received a worse blow than that any injury should befall Mr. Endy or any of the labor leaders at this time. I know nothing about any more of the conversation, interrupted Chambers. I assure you on my honor as a gentleman that there is every word he let me hear. My informant said that while the rest would be likely to be of great interest to me or to the court or to the public, yet he proposed to stop right there, and he further remarked that he did not intend that there should be any more of it, and so he made a hiatus of the remainder of that conversation, and said that Johnson and you could try to recollect the other part, so as to be able to tell it on the witness stand, together with the portion he could not hear, if you wanted to do so, and thought that anybody would believe you if it happened to contradict his testimony, backed up by his good character and evidence. Good character of a common sneak thief and blackmailer! I like that, said Mr. Craggy. Of all the gall that ever I heard, that is the most unadulterated. Chambers shook his head in disapproval of the sentiment, and said, "'If you knew him, you would not think so. I will say to you that my friend, up to this time, has led a perfectly blameless life, and that his testimony on the stand would be simply unimpeachable. He could even deny, truthfully, that he had even attempted to blackmail you, for I have not a bit of authority to do more than hand you those papers, and see whether you wish to show them to the strikers. The million I mention is simply the amount he named as his price to them. "'Why, he must be the devil incarnate,' said Mr. Craggie. "'Oh, no, I think not. He is no worse than several men I have met. Not a bit worse. Simply following your own practice, and living up to the motto of all rich men, which runs, Ego, ego, ego. 
"'Well, here we are at Clyde,' concluded the secretary, after waiting in vain for some reply to his last impertinence. "'I will leave you to think the matter over. If you wish to deliver me to the police, there is one on the platform, or if you wish me to still act as your secretary, I will telephone to Johnson to come down and talk with you immediately.' I have no wish that you should decide this matter at once or without his advice. It may be that he can discover some means to save you without silencing my friend. If he does, he is even smarter than I think he is, for I see but the one way out, and I must have a decisive answer before five o'clock this afternoon. I expect to return before that time, but I may be detained, as I have several matters besides the cashing of this check to attend to. Shall I telephone or call the policeman? Telephone, was the reply of the badgered man, but to himself he said, I'll pay you for every moment of this morning some day, young fellow. End of chapter 15, part 1 of 2